The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Walmart Plus. With a Walmart Plus membership, you save on everything you need to stay entertained. A Paramount Plus subscription is included to watch all your favorite shows. Plus, there's free delivery and even gas discounts. So when you're done streaming, you can hit the town and find entertainment in the real world, too. Save on all this, plus much more with Walmart Plus. Start a free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, it's me, him, and Henry Kissinger. Fuck you. It's Andy Greenwald. That's my favorite <laughs> intro ever. Oh, welcome to the weekly episode of Little Lord Fuckleroy. <laughs> I am Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Andy Greenwald. We're here to talk about the fourth episode of Succession. That's the fourth it's really one, flying right? Flying by now, yeah. The lion in the meadow. Um, mm. Just a uh, what? What a what? A, what an episode! We got a lot to break down here, Andy. Um, I can go through quickly the the plot points, or we can talk sure. generalities first. It's just like pretty easy to go through this one because not a, a ton happened mm-hmm. this week on Succession. We got some new blood in the form of Adrian Brody's Josh Aronson character, which I have quite a bit to say about. Uh, Logan and Kendall go out to a private island that maybe is in Long Island, but also requires a flight. Mm-hmm. So are they in Portugal? I don't know. We'll break <laughs> that down to plead their case to a 4% shareholder. This guy, Josh, the whole thing takes on a kind of waiting for Godot feeling with Josh stress testing Logan and Kendall in both intellectual, emotional, and physical ways. Meanwhile, back in the city, Roman is looking for leverage on Kendall, buying a photo of a homeless man that he and Kendall paid to get Kendall's name tattooed on his forehead during uh, Kendall's bachelor party. And Shiv is trying to assert herself as president of Waystar Royco by running, but is running into headwinds, even from her father, who gave her the job in the first place. And lastly, Tom is spinning out as his uh, his imminent trip to prison, I guess, is, is coming up on him. Um, so the most, I think, the biggest thing to talk about, Andy, is, is this tete-a-tete that Kendall and Logan... Tete-a-tete-a-tete. that Kendall, Logan, and Josh Aronson right. have. Where the fuck were they? Right. Good. Let's start there. I mean, in terms of location, they were absolutely somewhere out on the East End. Like, they were somewhere, like, whether that was Shelter Island or it's, it's, it's off-season Orient, unclear. Right. But that's absolutely where it was. Like, no It's a other private place island that you looks- have to take a flight to, though. So do you have to fly to Shelter Island? No, you could you could swim. You could take a little <laughs> boat. It's not very exclusive. So look, I mean, do I know a lot about a lot of things? Sure, thanks. Yeah, I do. Right. Do I know a lot about the private island economy? I do not. 
I do not. And I think it's interesting that we are having this, like if this was a different season of Succession, uh, I don't, I think if it was meant to be somewhere more exotic, they would have filmed it someplace more exotic. You know what I mean? But because this is the COVID season, I'm like, well, they definitely could drive to this place they pretended to fly to. And maybe that was helpful. So I, I just don't wasn't know. sure. Was it like, is this like off of the Carolinas somewhere? Like, or is it no, somewhere? I, I, I don't think it was that, that far. I think that, first okay. of all, I think these people perhaps abused the privilege of <laughs> private air travel a touch. You know, yeah. I mean, who am I to judge from yeah. this vantage point here in, you know, in La La Land? But did they need to take two fully gassed up Learjets to essentially, <laughs> you know, go to the Hamptons? Probably not. But people do that, I'm sure. So I don't know. I do think that we it is meant to be close because the it's it's suggested that this was meant to be a New York City meeting, but due to the potentially fake illness yes. of Josh's uh, uh, daughter, they had to trek out there. Right. So um, sometimes what makes a good succession episode doesn't always make great logical. Uh, storytelling, and I thought I would mention that off the top here because that jumps out a couple of times in this episode. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say it's not really a criticism; like I didn't enjoy myself watching. But uh, you know, episodic television, regardless of whether it's serialized or not, has to sometimes do soft resets to kind of keep everybody's favorite characters somehow interacting. And 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 they show all the balls in the air. Yeah. This show does that with such a plum. Like usually, I mean, they, they like most of these episodes, most of the best episodes involve. For some reason, all of these people had to gather in X place. Mm-hmm. And that's been a little bit more challenging, I think, for this season, maybe because of what you mentioned with COVID, but maybe also because to keep pushing the story forward, you know, Kendall has to be this antagonist, but they still need to interact with him. You know what yep. I mean? So after spitting in Kendall's day planner uh, following the in utero town hall, you know, Shiv is still finds herself on a conference call with Kendall. Like moments later. So there's little things like that. You know, Roman kind of refuses to sign the letter about Kendall in the previous episode because, you know, he has some affection for him. But is the the person going out scouting for blackmail on him in the next episode? It's good TV. I like it. It just doesn't. Did you find that it was maybe not always tracking in that way? Yes. A million percent. Yes. And I think it's worth noting, hopefully in a non-pejorative way, like, the seams are showing a little bit in this season. As a fan of both this show and of television storytelling in general, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. I think that it is a mis- it is a mistaken reading of Succession, as well as probably an indictment of just how our hype culture has overtaken everything else, to suggest that this show is somehow transcendent due to its brilliant plot mechanics. Mm-hmm. This isn't Breaking Bad. And right. by the way, if you poke around at Breaking Bad, even Breaking Bad isn't the Breaking Bad that we often talk about. This show has never purported to reinvent the wheel in terms of weekly dramatic storytelling. What it does is it gives you the most elegant and fucking funny wheel you've ever imagined. And God, is it pretty to watch it spin. So that's how I approach the show. And because of that, it doesn't really bother me to see Jesse Armstrong and his writers twist themselves into increasing pretzel logic just to get where they need to get in order to achieve what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. I do think, and I've been saying this, I think, pretty much since the season started, so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I think that there are still, there are two major factors at play that are affecting maybe our experience of that, of this. One is 
there's the COVID thing. We don't know. Yeah, I, we're going to be I, talking about it. I know that there was a reason for it dramatically, but I really enjoyed <laughs> the Adrian Brody's character being like, "Why don't we go outside? We're, we're it's it's more comfortable outside." <laughs> yeah, it is literally winter. I mean, that light—that is the light we were talking about that I think leached us of childhood pleasure by growing up on the East Coast. You know what I mean? Like the dusky seagrass just yeah. sort of wilting, and then they're like, "Oh, the sun! The sun was so hot." I'm like. Dog, I've been in the sun in February <laughs> it's in not New that York hot. State. Not that hot. Yeah. Not that hot. Um, but he can, so, I mean, we still don't know. He might be off the coast of Portugal for all we know, you know? That's true. I, I feel like... Or, or the cliffs of Dover? Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know Hi, does going. the Portuguese tourism board have a stake in the show and could we make that happen? So that's part of it. The other part of it is something that I alluded to last week, which is, yeah, the cell phone has already ruined visual storytelling and as an excuse to get people together. But now you have a corner that they have intentionally painted themselves into where the characters who ought to be in the same room with each other and maybe are even in the same quarantine bubble can't be in the same room with each other because they are at active war. Mm-hmm. So that's how we end up with two things that, I, that did definitely feel a little wonky. One was you know, there's a bomb and only you, Murtaugh, and you, Riggs, can defuse it. Right. Like, okay. Is that absolutely the case? Fine. I mean, but so much of TV storytelling is that. And then, you know, I think it leans into it. There's a little bit of, like, hanging a lantern on it when there's the implication that maybe this was all a setup. You know, yeah, that maybe right. this was intentional. So it's it's preposterous, but what's the alternative? Brian Cox and, and Jeremy Strong spend a season never interacting. No, we don't want no, that. No, the want real this. version so of succession is these people never see each other because it's all lawyers. Like their lawyers wouldn't let them exactly. speak to one another. Their lawyers wouldn't make them let them make public statements like this. Their lawyers wouldn't let them get on the phone with one another or play in utero during their town hall appearances. That would not happen. It would just be lawyer, 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 lawyer. But I mean, I love the fact that the show is just like these people are maybe only ever allowed to be with one another because they just can't function in the world without one another. I, I, I love the central conceit of this show. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I, I think even like the Adrian Brody character himself was kind of like, that's a very TV thing where it's like this guy that we have never heard of before is now very important. Yeah. You know, and that's, that was, that's totally fine. Like I, I was like so thrilled to see Adrian Brody, I was so th- thrilled with this character. I, I want to talk a lot about how many layers he was wearing because I, I charted that. I, but, I'm coming back to that. <laughs> we are circling back to that when we do a deeper Josh dive. But it was like definitely like the episode starts and they're like, we have to go see Josh Aronson. And, you know, if, you, if you're like a serious TV watcher, you're just like, should I know who this is? Was this guy mentioned before? And he, he was not. Yes. And I, I, I think that there's also, that speaks to the other kind of, slightly wonky thing, which is the nature of the shareholder revolt, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. the single existential defining threat of season two, is utterly opaque at this point and almost almost ludicrous. You know, it is absolutely a, it's like a dimmer switch, you know, in, in, in Shiv's fancy apartment where it's just like, well, now it's important, but now it's not. I mean, I know as much about the inner workings of publicly traded companies as I do about private islands, which is to say nothing. I was going to say as much as you know about Portuguese beach destinations, but you keep talking about it. So I feel like there's something you want to get into. So all that being said, uh, I could be wrong. But from my layman's perspective, what world is the Roy family still credible? 
Like I, I that the fact that this shareholder thing, which was so urgent a week ago, is now only intermittently urgent, and also that there's still potentially a strong play for them to regain control, even though it is absolute chaos, up to and including an FBI raid that almost, almost again speaking about like hanging a lantern on something that like which is the writers' room term of like is there a flaw? Let's steer into it. Let's point it out. Yeah. This episode begins with them being like a dramatic escalation. That is now going to quiet for a few weeks. I mean, they're they're admitting it, you know. But again, all that said, I don't actually care about. I mean, ask yourself this question too: If you are a Succession fan who's just like, "Well, that's not logical," do you care? Do you want to get into it with Stewie and Sandy and figure out like what the, the you know the who, what percentage of the board believes in it, or do you want Adrian Brody to emerge, you know, <laughs> like, like fucking like uh, you know like he's in the the Burlington Coat Factory outlet sale? And dominate the episode. Like, yeah. I would rather have him dropped out of nowhere and give us what we got. I am less worried about how we got there. So I, I thought that the um, the way that the Josh meeting played out was so wonderful because they they so leaned into the awkwardness of the moment. You know that they they have these extended, almost excruciating long silences when Josh ever leaves Logan and Kendall together. You have all this performance going on. You know, we talk about unreliable narrators in fiction. I think we were seeing a lot of unreliable action on the screen. You know, you don't really know why Josh has summoned them. Is he doing it purely in an effort to unnerve them for the purposes of Sandy and Stewie? Is he doing it because he legitimately wanted to see whether or not they could smooth over their obvious differences with one another? Did he actually want to see if Logan was physically up to doing this mm-hmm. this job yeah. still? And he was like, I'm going to make this guy walk for two hours in the sun and see what happens, you know? And I really liked that aspect of the episode. It's not, for all of the wonderful things that Succession does so well on TV, it rarely gets into that kind of nebulous, artistic, cinematic, not magical realism, but it doesn't really get weird they Mm -hmm. say weird things but it doesn't get weird and i think that that kind of dream logic that was always pulsing through the sopranos is what elevated the show you know and even though some of the dream episodes were a drag like the show operated on multiple planes of perception and existence or was interested in that and that kind of kept it going and succession has never gone in that direction i'm not suggesting there should be a david lynch season of succession but walking through the maze mm-hmm. on this island that we don't know could be Portugal, could be. I'm not sure. I didn't notice any, you know, fried fish balls. I'm just. Slide, I don't know where those cliffs would be in Long Island. But true. But there was that. It did elevate the scene because we didn't know and they mm-hmm. didn't know, and it was it was low key unsettling in a way that I appreciated. I don't think the show plays that note very often, and I was excited to see that it was interested in doing so. Uh, who do you think Josh is? So, I mean, basically, yeah. he mentions uh, briefly uh, in, a, in a kind of, uh, when he's going at Logan a little bit, it was like, you think I'm some dipshit who had a good night at a casino, which makes me think he's like a, uh, maybe like a Haralabob Vulgaris type, like online poker champion or something. Well, like, I, he's I, I, very rich, though. Like, uh-huh. He's like, this think, is just... I think Bob's pretty rich. Too. I mean, I don't know him at all, but I'm saying <laughs> yeah. like $350 million stake is part of his holdings. And apparently he owns an island that straddles the continental divide between yeah. Massachusetts and Portugal. And he's got like, just like, fuck you money to spend on vests and scarves and cardigans and shirts that he's going to wear at once. 
well, okay, and we're going to have that conversation, Chris. There's only one other person in my experience on planet Earth who is as fond of layering as Josh on Succession. Yeah. And I'm talking to him right now. That's right. Chris Ryan is the layer god. I know that you have a fan base of heads and people are like very invested in your sartorial decisions, generally post-coital, whatever. Like there's a lot of information about you is out there uh-huh. and people love it and they celebrate it. What I think is not talked about enough or celebrated enough is that, look, you have mixed feelings about Los Angeles. That's not a secret. But in some ways, Chris, it is something you were born You know what the thing is, is that, you know how some people are like, I go day to night? Yeah. I go mountain to desert. (laughs) Chris, listen, people who don't live in Los Angeles don't understand the weather here because yes, it's nice all the time, but sometimes it's chilly and then it's not chilly, but it's chilly in the morning and in the evening. What are we doing? It's, this is not a real challenge for adult humans, but it gets in your head, Yeah, you know, especially if you've lived your whole life on the East Coast being like, Aha, the calendar declares it is January 20th. Thus, I will zip myself up into this tauntaun skin and not remove it until mid-April. Right. Like, that's how you operate. Here, one needs to do what you do, Chris. Like, I didn't even understand the possibilities because I was with my, my, like, base, what would Roman call it, poor person thinking. I was like, there are shirts and there are jackets. Whoa, guess what? Newsflash, there's shackets. So- there's jerts. Chris wears a T-shirt, a button-down, a vest, maybe a shirt jacket. He always has optionality. He is what the NFL coordinators are looking for. And finally, I saw your genius reflected on the small screen. Representation matters. You know, it's important. I really, I really, really, it meant a lot to be seen. That guy, so Josh goes from my, you know, my freeze-frame analysis. Josh Aronson wearing T-shirt. Right. Button-up. Totally. Cardigan, scarf. That was the man. That was the hoodie, play. vest, which is so that is one, two, three, four, five layers plus a scarf. It is a and legendary, a legendary torso performance. You know the likes of which I I, I don't know if I've ever seen. From when that, it, well, alone, you know, because there's all those like you know you, you watch the behind the scenes for mm. something like. Um, Oh, this is how they. This is how long it took this guy to get made up like an orc in Lord of the Rings. Every yeah. morning he would get up at right. two in the morning to get like the. It's like what? What? What was Brody's process? Imagine how long you? it took to put all those layers on. Do you want me to tell you his process? That's his house. Those are his clothes, <laughs> and he was very excited because those may have been his clams. I, I, I just. There aren't too many times where there is a from jump perfect marriage between performer and character like this. You know, I I don't think anyone thought this because Adrian Brody's career has been surprising and circuitous in ways, uh, not like other Oscar winners. But if anyone was like, why is Adrian Brody joining this show and he hasn't even showed up until the fourth episode? Well, now now you see why. I mean, he was, this was, there are two kinds of easy parts for actors. There are ones where they're mailing it in and there are ones where they're like, this is what they do, you know, who they were born to be. And he's phenomenal in this. There's a kind of like cockeyed looseness to the whole thing, you know, total comfort in his skin, other than the fact that he's covered that skin, (laughs) 19 layers of Gore-Tex, you know, and you need a performer who is going to act like he owns the place when he is sitting at a small folding table with two Emmy winners. Let's talk. Can we talk a little bit about that table? Yeah, I can't wait. These guys take a they they leave Adrian Brody's lovely house. 
they're walking out along the dunes. The Beatles come up. There's some conversation about... <laughs> I love Logan. What's Logan say? Good band. Good Phenomenal. Band. Phenomenal uh, line read. Before that, there's a little bit of conversation about purchasing something called Gojo and like bad UI and good UI and good content and bad content. I'm a, a, sure a, that a, will come up, but... As the former IT guy for Grantland, Chris, you were all over <laughs> that, right? Like that was your language. But they're walking and they're walking. You know, maybe it's just a walk. Maybe it's just to get the sea air. Maybe it's, maybe it's to stress test Logan to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, okay, what's going on? I, I want you to tell me a little bit about how you felt when those guys turn around mm-hmm. and there's the lunch table is set and we are about to get this alfresco dining experience. I felt so many, so many feelings. My first thought, I'm going to be honest with you, was disappointment that the pitcher had like minted tea in it when what you want is a crisp muscadet to really pop with that shellfish. You know, you want you want something that tastes of the land, wherever that land may be, because clearly it's TBT. My second thought was, this is such a glorious representation of true, true wealth. It's not the glass box house that costs millions of dollars or the no doubt obscenely heated pool that the formerly feverish daughter is now happily hopping into, even though the temperature is hovering in the 40s outside. It's you walk to a place that doesn't seem particularly convenient Mm -hmm. and there's a platter of clams waiting for you. It's that other people's discomfort is so outside of your purview that they are just standing at the ready with things like this in a place that it doesn't make sense to have them. I love that. I also want to eat that food because it Mm -hmm. looks amazing. Um, I, I too would like to go for a thoughtful, solitary Andrew Wyeth-like hike through the eastern seaboard, but then have a lobster, yeah. (laughs) Just have it there for me at the end of my journey. Um, Also, this might go less commented on. There, I I did notice, and (laughs) no no surprises why, this was the one of the, I think the first, at least the first that I remember, episode of Succession where the Roy's, like, just, it's not even soft anti-Semitism, but just, like, baked in is mentioned, you know, oh, he, it's mentioned he, in terms of who's on what floor of the building. But then Logan is just like, to Josh, like, you're a city boy, like, need your bagels. Yeah, right. Which I thought was a fascinating dig and revealing of so much about the character. But also, Logan, you've been at a Dundee for a bunch of years. Josh laid out a plate of trafe. Do you understand? <laughs> but, like, if he cares as much about bagels as you think he does, he is not serving you shellfish. That's not on. Right. That's not on. So, okay. I had to get that off my chest. So, I mean, Logan also with some uh, some opinions about what his experiences would be like in prison just reveals a little bit about him. You know, it's like it's not like anybody has any like misgivings about who that guy is. But I thought that that whole exchange that they have on the way back was so brilliant. Both Logan being like, Here's your situation. I've got the family. I've got the raisin. The I've got yeah. the kitties. You lost. And then he starts wheezing. And there's that really cool shot of just the sort of dead trees or that the brush and his heaving breathing. Yeah. You know, and then he's starting to get weaker and weaker. And Logan's like, Your your fucking brains are scrambled eggs, man. Like you are six hundred yeah. yeah, Kendall says that to Logan. He's like, You're six hundred years old, you know. You're fucking busting this guy's chops about being Jewish. You think you're like, you're, you're basically, you're dead. I killed you that day and you're dead now. And you can see basically that they unwittingly walk into what, whatever Josh's trap was. Cause he's 
clearly going to meet Stewie. That's the person that he's like, I have guests coming. And so yeah, he always knew Stewie was coming. It was either going to be a car wash to see who he was going to choose, or he's just decided, like, look at this old man and his crazy son. I'm out of here. They can take a golf cart. I'm waiting for Stewie. Yeah, I mean, they shit the bet. They they did what I clearly, Josh, thought they might. Maybe not as, in an even worse degree. He set them up for that, and they they delivered. Shout out to Arian Moyed, who plays Stewie. A Hall of Fame guest-starring flex by just being seen through a porthole window yeah. at the very end of the episode and still getting full Loafers, credit. Loafers, no socks in like 40 Love degrees. That. Yeah. I do want to talk about, you know, the, 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 I, the show continues to find new ways to reveal things that aren't surprising, but are still fascinating to observe in the wild when they happen. You know, it is not news to, to watch, to succession watchers to, to say that the performance of family is just another uh, weapon in a successful capitalist arsenal. Like, we know that. We know mm-hmm. all of it. And we had it reminded, if we didn't know, I mean, last week with the whole thing with a fishing trip and Roman, I mean, the optics at the airport, we know that. But the facility to which Logan could say things that he would never say to his son, to Josh, in order to assure him that he's going to maintain control of the company, it's still breathtaking. And it opens up opportunity. I mean, I... I, sometimes I feel like a, like a joke going into sports metaphors because that's not my forte. And also, you know, that is, is your forte. But it opens up the floor. You know what yeah. I mean? It yeah. gives players a chance to do what they do best. And in this case, the players are the actors. And for people who say, who are still on the fence, but probably aren't listening to this podcast, honestly, like, wh- where is the, who am I rooting for? What is the emotion here? You know, where is the, where's the pathos or the love story or whatever that people often use as markers in television shows? It's on Jeremy Strong's face when his father is saying he's a good boy. I mean, that is as yearning and desperate and sad and pathetic and moving as as nearly anything else in a drama you're going to see this year. And it's a showcase for that. Yeah. I, I also do want to say I do not share, I think, any uh, of the traits of the relationship between that my father and I do not mirror the relationship that we saw in this episode. Sure. However, there is one thing I have to point out, which is that my father, who is also over the age of 80 years old, walks in public and refuses help in exactly the same way that yeah. Brian Cox did in this episode. My father walks Manhattan like like Walt Whitman <laughs> writes poetry about Manhattan. Okay? He, he can't bend his knees. Right. But he, like, he like bestrides the Colossus Right. Of Fifth Avenue. And I'm like, Dad, you know, the light hasn't even started blinking yet. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, like, he, 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 it, it invigorates him. And I think it is a it is clearly some sort of, like, performance alpha play. And I I would say to Kendall, I, not even the Evian would have helped. Have you Has your dad been to Manhattan since, like, the bike lanes really popped off? Oh, my God. See, I don't even want to know that. I Yes, they were there last week to see oh the, the stirring revival of Carolina Change. I mean, they, they stay seeing important Broadway shows. And I stay not asking them how they drove there or drove back because I don't want to hear about it. Right, right. Um, uh, okay, so anything else you want to say about the, the Kendall-Josh-Logan meeting? Um. Oh, the only thing that that that's remaining. I mean, I thought it was it was beautifully shot. I thought it was. It's worth noting, and I don't have their names in front of me. The directors of the episode, the married couple that directed American um, American Splendor. You remember the Paul Giamatti movie? Um, yeah, that was uh, Sherry Springer and Robert Pulcini. 
Yeah, Mary Couple, great directors, indie directors, happy to see them getting some shine. I thought that whole sequence was really well shot and really well done. Very eager to have Brody in the mix, hopefully more this season, because it did address the the note that I had last week about like, let's get these siloed off at war with each other weirdos into other spaces quickly. Yeah. So that we can see their behavior reflected in other people's eyes. I think it's it's crucial. Underneath this, I mean, this is a podcast, so I can throw out a small concern troll, remains one central thing that I think the show keeps the centrifuge spinning to keep our eyes away from, which is, do, do we care who wins the shareholder revolt? Well, like, I mean, that that, that kind of gets to a little bit of the, the overall theme of what we've been talking about this season is, does how we talk about succession somehow dictate uh, what succession is? You know, if right. you talk about a show once a week, if you talk about it on The Ringer, we talk about it three times a week. If you talk about it, if you write about it a lot, and there are New Yorker profiles and New York Magazine profiles dedicated to Jesse Armstrong's brilliance, and, you know, it's all about these, how this family is representative of the rotten core of capitalism and the media yep. and everything else, then, you know, it's, there's going to be some scrutiny. If it's like, and we've said this again and again, it's more, you know, sometimes it leans more Veep than it does Sopranos. Uh, then you won't be under, like if it, Veep was never under that level of scrutiny, I don't think. Like Veep, Veep was like appreciated as a yes. masterpiece of comedy, but I don't think people were like, did Veep make sense this week? Do we understand or, what Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character wants? You know, What is Selena Meyer's remaining path to the presidency? Yeah. We, I, th- <laughs> there, there, there is an appetite to watch this show like it's, not just that it's Breaking Bad, but like it's the NCAA tournament. You know, it, it, I don't think that, I personally, that's not how I want to watch it, but I also don't think that uh, is ultimately as respectful of the show because I don't think the show wants to be that. I don't think mm-hmm. it has interest in that. I, Which isn't the same thing as saying that they aren't paying attention to the plot. You know what I mean? True. Like, it's not the same thing. I think that you will probably see, like, Gojo will come up again. Josh Aronson will come up again. Like, the homeless man with the tattoo will probably wind up coming up again. Ravenhead will come up again. Like, mm-hmm. all of this stuff in this episode, they don't waste shots. It's just that sometimes when you see a field goal attempt, you're like, that was meaningless. And then it winds up being important two episodes later. But do, do you know what I'm saying by like by that? Yes, and I also think it's worth noting just in terms of how we li- how you and I like to talk about TV sometimes that there is, and I think it's going to become more apparent as the season comes on and then reveals itself, but television watch, it's not just us generating content as podcasters who think about this stuff and talk about this stuff. I think the the average, maybe not the average audience member, but the engaged, even partially, not necessarily extremely online audience member is so much savvier now than even five or 10 years ago. And I think a question that does begin to itch a little bit in people's minds is, what's the shape of this thing? What's the size of this thing? Um, I think that in interviews recently for his book, Brian Cox has basically been saying, yeah, we'll probably do two more seasons. Mm -hmm. Like maybe this is a four or five season thing. That's interesting. And that does affect how I perceive it, which is not fair, but in a a good or a bad way. I, I think it, it might cause me to sharpen my focus more on some of the machinations, which don't always interest me because there's the other piece of it, which is, God, this show's fun. God, mm-hmm. the show is like Veep. God, the show could go in a hundred different directions and run for a hundred years. If this show was on Showtime, it's billions, right? And it, and there's no disrespect against billions. Like that's a pretty profitable lane for a show to be in that has lost a main character this year and now can go for six more years. You know, like if Succession is a nine or 10 year commitment, I think that 
where the decisions made now feel different. And I don't think it is going to be that, but I think that that does that does it's it is worth paying attention to that question. Yeah, I do think that there is some there there is so I don't want to underrate some of the magic of the show because I will say if people go back and you know this this episode of our pods going up after this episode has just aired, go back and watch maybe just watch the Josh stuff again. Knowing what we know at the end of the episode and see how he kind of pulls their pup, like pulls their strings the entire episode. Cause he's always got them moving. He's always making them get up and move over and get up and move over and sit next to one another and walk with one another. And he, it, once you see that, and he, you know, maybe it'll turn out that he is like a poker player or something. I mean, he does allude to being a gambler mm-hmm. or something like that. Like that kind of um, study of human behavior is in, inherent in people who gamble like that's part of playing poker and the, I, I thought it was an interesting move to see him just kind of be like come over here no sit over there no let's get up and get some air now let's go walk now let's go eat now let's walk back but i'm gonna walk ahead of you and make you feel like you have to keep up with me but i'm trying to abandon you but i keep taking you the wrong way and is the ocean over there i can send the cart you know it's like a lot of manipulation that doesn't seem that way in the first first go around no, and you're right to also say that the show doesn't waste its shots. So Josh lives in a glass house mm-hmm. where he can watch everything and see everything. And yeah, every part of this is scripted. We know from being with the Roys that everything they do is scripted. You know, that's a good play. That was the smart move. Or at least they then retroactively retcon impulsive, emotional, destructive, abusive behavior into a play. Yeah. But here, Josh says, you know, my daughter's sick. She wasn't sick. You need to come visit me. Uh, what's that going to mean? And so they, the Roys try to do a script polish. They try to rewrite it. So Logan and Kendall want to kill each other. So they'll fly separate planes, but they will reconnect on the tarmac and get on the same page. Well, no, they won't. Kendall mm-hmm. breaks that, races into the house. The first thing Josh sees meep, is that meep. they are <laughs> very much not on the same page. Yeah. So they're communicating the entire time and he's reading them because, which isn't hard because they're, you know, they're a large print children's book at this point. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Walmart Plus. With a Walmart Plus membership, you save on everything you need to stay entertained. A Paramount Plus subscription is included to watch all your favorite shows. Plus, there's free delivery and even gas discounts. So when you're done streaming, you can hit the town and find entertainment in the real world, too. Save on all this, plus much more with Walmart Plus. Start a free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
when you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I think that before, as a way to pivot off of this plot line, this was a bravura episode from Brian Cox, like not just faking having a whatever he was having, just absolutely owning every scene. And you see the spark in his eye when someone pushes back, you know, or fights back. Like he, you know, we, we shouldn't keep giving people homework like this, but I saw... I don't know where it came, something came across my feed or I saw online uh, a picture of Brian Cox at the HBO New York premiere mm-hmm. for Succession. And in the pictures, he's just a doofy older guy. He's an actor. He's a, probably a nice guy or not always a nice guy, whatever, but he's just sort of smiling. And then you see the way this show frames him up and he's the fucking lion in winter. You yeah. know what I mean? Like every piece, every movement is chiseled and chosen. And for as strong as this episode was for him, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to overlook the fact that this was a Rushmore episode for Greg, in my opinion. Not in the focus, but talking about doing a lot with a little. Yeah. His plus I, minus rating off the, the off the charts. The morning rum and coke is up there with the doing all of uh, Kendall's cocaine yes. at the bachelor party or at the at Tom's bachelor party. That face he makes when he takes that first gulp, he's <laughs> just like strong. He's like, I like it. Yeah. He's like, um, should I chug this? I could chug this. But the two of them together, masterclass in high status, low status performance and finding the finding how to make the scene pop. No one dominates the scene, even though they're coming at it from completely different positions of strength. Did I miss something or did he not sign whatever those papers were on screen? I was a little bit lost there too. Um, but it, it seemed to me that there was a lot of like, we need to placate the aforementioned lion in winter. You know, like I, I, I couldn't tell who, who said that he did first. Did Tom, Tom say it? Tom did. Tom's not paying attention. He didn't. Because he goes right. up and he's like, Greg's going to sign or Greg signed, but Ravenhead chewed me out. So I did the two things you wanted to Shiv and Shiv's like, oh, okay. And then she goes and does Ravenhead. It could be, a, you know, a, a, another example of everyone overlooking Greg. I mean, they all think that that's, that's the easiest thing on their plate to manage. Right. Matthew McFadden is such a good actor. Dude, I he mean, is so good in that Greg scene where he's just like, let's game this out. And he's like, he's he's melting down. Like that character is coming apart. Reading the prison blogs, getting ready to go to Otisville. What are you talking about? Kosher, kosher snack all, machines. I have never related to anyone on Succession more than when he talks about how good the first taste of the glass <laughs> of really cold white wine is. My wife said the same thing. The end of a day, I was like, for all these people being like, I don't relate to anyone on this show. I was like, yeah, I've never eaten an Ortolan with a napkin over my head. But let me tell you what I have done. I've had a very, very cold alcoholic beverage at 5 p.m. And it never fails to satisfy. But also, seriously, like seriously. Yeah. Has there ever been a time where you had a cold beer, a cold drink at five o'clock or six o'clock, whenever quitting time is for you? But it's like, it's before, it's mm-hmm. maybe before you start eating. Mm-hmm. And just, you just wash that man right out of your hair. You know what I mean? Has there ever been a day? <laughs> How many days are there in the week? No, Should I say where, them in their no, Latin no. names? Has there ever been a time yeah. where that hasn't 
100% worked now, all of the time. I, I, you know, I don't know the makeup of our audience, and I don't know if we have people well, who are generally I'll tell you our what, age we, or older We have or young someone guys. named Kaya McMullen who, who but, loves a winery. I'm sure she agrees with us. But, but let, let me just say, and I would, I would like to know what Kaya has to say, but I just want to say that, like, I feel like I've been doing this drinking thing for, like, 23 <laughs> legal years uh-huh. at this point. And look, we all try to game the system. We're all like, what, like Walter White it. Like, what is the breakdown of feeling good now and not feeling bad tomorrow? And what's a being able to sleep? Matching, yeah, right. Going to sleep, which becomes an issue as Liquor you before age beer. like we do, yeah. all that. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you guys, some, all of you, Dr. Steve Brules in the lab, you know what I mean? Like, just, just mixing up the medicine. You might not want to hear this. But the ice cold light beer, not like a Coors Light, but I mean like a lighter, like a Mexican style beer. What's wrong with a Coors Light? No that's fine ads. too. I'm just yeah, saying right. it doesn't, I'm not, whatever your pleasure. I'm just saying not like a triple Juice Wolf IPA or whatever. I'm saying that cold yeah. lager or Pilsner beer at 5 p.m. is as good as it's going to get. And you <laughs> might as well quit there. That is the only 100% approval rating I've ever found for alcohol. That's it. Kai, any notes on drinking before we go ahead of the rest of our succession pod? Honestly, no. I think you guys really covered it. <laughs> I, all I can say is 100% agree. Co-signed. Co-signed. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I don't it, want to ruin a, the It's magic. a sensation that crosses generations is what we're trying to say. Yeah. And, and, and just to expand the, the purview of, of the connection, I also would be very, very in my head with worry about lights out nighttime I can't keep reading your this, prison wine, not being this, able to get your prison wine cold enough. Not yeah. the wine, but he likes to read in bed to a certain point, And now I'm <laughs> sleepy, sleepy. So now I'm going to turn the light off and put my book, you know, my spy thriller or whatever on the bedside table. Like that's important. It's self-management. I'm not saying I want more time always. Maybe I just want to read a page. Words get a little blurry. That's the old universe telling you it's time to go night night. I want to be in charge of that. What the fuck was this? The Nero story to you? Like, <laughs> What was what was that story about? Like, I would like to make you my courtesan story. Was what was it about? Well, I know what it was about, but do you? What is the? What was the purpose of telling Greg that? Um, no, it's okay if you don't have an answer. Well, I mean, I I, I think I, I don't fully have an answer, but as a professional podcaster, I can pivot and bluff. I mean, I think there is a desire and this has always been written through this relationship, right? Where like, it's important to Tom to ex- to exert dominance, but the rope that's around his neck, he feels ought to be a life preserver. Mm-hmm. And it ought to be around as many other people as possible. Like he doesn't want to go down alone. And also I think what's written so brilliantly into McFadden's performance is the ego. I mean, Tom eats a lot of shit on the show. We see it from that perspective. But I think that, for him, the idea of injustice would be him, Tom Wamsgams, who done who did everything right and married the boss's daughter, taking the fall when this dummy who barfed in a Mickey Mouse costume wouldn't be getting punished. Well, nobody know? needs him now, too. Like the guy that he was yeah. making his sort of protege slash blood bag is moving on and is sort of gamed out like what his future at the company is going to be when he uses this leverage to become the head of a Buffalo theme park. And Shiv is essentially like still ushering him out the door. And while she's like, I'm really sorry. She's basically like, I don't know what to tell you about your, your fears about jail. I have like a job to do here. 
And I also have to go do your job because you weren't able to get this guy, Ravenhead, to acquiesce to my dad's editorial direction. I think that the Tom Shiv thing, by the way, I was mentioning the the Jeremy Strong facial reactions as where the emotion comes from. The Tom Shiv is the other reliable well of that, even though it's just sort of agonizing pathos because Mm -hmm. it's just so sad, you know, as as Thomas said before. Um, Do you think, do you feel like watching Shiv screw up or not be good enough or take the ire of her father in a way that she hasn't before, as Kendall said the other week, like you're the new me, basically, like you're taking it now and I'm sorry. Do you he doesn't say that, he doesn't say sorry. <laughs> no, but you fair point. Yeah. Do you do you wish that there was more attention paid to the fact that two show seasons ago she was breathlessly volunteering for Bernie Sanders and now is, you know, telling Sean Hannity to go a little rougher on a Republican <laughs> president so her father doesn't get arrested? Or is this the right amount because it's written into the performance and the context? that she is as transactional as everyone else. I think it's important. I mean, you just have to look for the the meaning maybe elsewhere than the literal surface plot points. So mm-hmm. I, I think that other shows would make a bigger gesture about Shiv's, I wouldn't necessarily say fall from grace, but her pivot to the right. Right. I thought it was really interesting that the, you know, this, this season has had a couple of um, really good sort of echoes of either past seasons or, things that characters other characters have said to one another and that conversation between Shiv and Ravenhead she essentially does the Kendall Valter thing she's like my dad told me to you know mm-hmm. it's she's never going to have the um credibility to go into that guy's office and say this is what i want you to do i'm above you on this org chart you need to do what i'm telling you she's saying yeah but like this is what my dad wants so you're going to do it it just depends on how many times we say fuck to one another like yeah. that was such a great great line but it is what happens to these roy kids as they get closer and closer to the sun s u n not s o n i think i would be remiss if i didn't say there was another moment when i thought that i was going to have a personal connection to a cast member on succession or character on succession but then the character proves himself to be completely the opposite of me, which is when Connor Roy, who has lived his entire life, just a life of being idly rich and oh. collecting war parts, <laughs> is just given what to me is the ultimate grandfather. It sounds like, like he's being dream. made EIC of boat app, right? Like what, what would like, they're what, basically like, would you like to run food network yeah. and do your own wine tasting show? I'm like, I have lived my life up to this point, you know, with, relatively ambitious goals that I've shared with some people, but a one true beating dream of my heart, which that would be it. That's yeah. that's it. I mean, yeah, I'd like a jacuzzi too, but otherwise those things are all I need. And he turns his nose up at them? Yeah. Shocking. It's that amazing. Bode well. The one kid we haven't talked about really is Roman, who yeah. uh, spends most of this episode trying to dig up uh, blackmail on his brother. That scene with <laughs> with that homeless man or the formerly homeless man is quite amazing just because he's like, yeah, totally. But like a million dollars, I'm just going to say a million dollars. Like, and he, Fisher Stevens, who doesn't really have a ton to do in that scene. Yeah. Just standing there. Like what the fuck is happening? Well, like it is just, it's just great shit. The, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to get out of the way and let succession be succession. And when you have Kieran Culkin playing with Fisher Stevens and Jason Smith Cameron, like it's, it's just going to be enjoyable and good. One of the things about the episode 
overall, and I, and I wonder if other people shared this, was look, we're in the mid-season now. Mm-hmm. Like th- there, were, there, there was a slight change of pace in this episode where it quieted in some ways, not just the FBI stuff quieted down, but it focused mostly on this trip to wherever it was. And I don't mind that. You know, I, I kind of appreciate over the course of a season the acknowledgement that it can't always be at a boil. Sometimes you got to drop down to a simmer, or else you're never gonna you're never gonna make it. You know, and so the Roman Jerry stuff didn't break any new ground. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it didn't feel particularly fresh, or it, but it was really nice to have it. I was glad the show could downshift a little bit to give us some of that. Now, obviously, there is going to be more, and it could go in any number of directions. It also still finds time to do stuff like the bunny cam, mm-hmm. which I don't want to ignore. I mean, because yeah. that ridiculous well, I, I, I apartment that they moved We into. should probably at least once a week mention the fact that Kendall has a child named Iverson. Yeah, someone said this. I, someone on social pointed this out, and I, and I agree. And I think that, I think, honestly, I haven't spoken to you about this, Chris. I feel like we haven't been doing that because some things in this world are too beautiful and yeah, too they feel like they're, they're they feel like they're too close to you. Yeah. I, I mean, if anyone, you know, I'll just turn, I'll just turn it right back around on myself. Like I, everyone listening to this knows that I was not in on succession for the first episode, second episode. It wasn't until like the fifth that I suddenly came around. Looking back now, all I needed to know was that Kendall's son was named Iverson. <laughs> the brain that thought of that, it is one of like, it is one of humanity's few perfect decisions <laughs> on every level, not just because... Allen Iverson is our favorite basketball player, but everything we need to know about the Roy family, about Kendall Roy in particular, and about the person writing the show is captured and held within that idea that he named his son Iverson. It's a masterpiece. Bravo. He deserves a Peabody just for that decision. And then, and then, in this nightmare white negative space penthouse... The fact that the camera notices a giant fucking rabbit cage before they talk about it, like not too much before it. It's really brilliantly directed and edited there because it's letting us know. Well, he tells her she's, he's like, he, and he sends Jess over to start but, iPad FaceTime. Right before. Yeah. Right uh, before. If you rewatch the episode, I, I don't think I'm wrong about this. Like he's on the phone and he walks past it and you're like, wait, what is that a rat? And then he's like, Jess, buddy cam, buddy cam. <laughs> Love it. Like, these are the little things. Uh, I know. I know. And a good show does. All that stuff. It's like, we talked about this in the beginning of the season. We talked about it with that New Yorker profile where they, where they do in the writer's room of succession. They do the, what did you do last night around the room? All the writers talk about that and all the details that come out of their regular everyday lives that find themselves in the show. And Tom talking about the wine on an empty stomach Roman taking his shoe off and scratching his foot in front of Jerry as this, this like disarming and inappropriate and forward way of kind of being in the CEO's office. And yeah, the bunny cam is just like absolutely perfect shit. I bought my kid this giant rabbit and now he's trying to find the biggest carrot in the world. And I'm never going to see my kid because no. he's not on the show, but I've done this instead to keep him alive. We, we talked about that in week one, like there were two paths. There were three paths. It, the, he may have not be the on the show, on... but if they want to do young Iverson, like young Sheldon, Come on. you and me are the guys for the job. We are we are tech avail to show run that <laughs> shit. But but just to, to reiterate, like there were three options. You put the kids on the show and nobody wants that. It's a cell phone. It's an unforced error. 
Choice number two, pretend they never happened. Okay, we are in. We would have respected that and accepted it. But the better version is, if you use this three times, I don't know why, but it, it, hang a lantern on it. We're going to point out that there's this two children-sized absence <laughs> inside of Kendall's life. Yes. And we're going to use it to elucidate emotional things or make funny jokes. Last thing, I think I feel like we're wrapping up, but Kieran Culkin is hosting SNL this week. You and I are not... I don't think at this point, big SNL well, This pod will have been up by the time it already happened, yeah. Oh, that's right. Good point. So we're recording this on Friday. So this, I don't know if this will be entertaining or not, but like, do you, there, there was a tradition, this is back when I was more of an SNL watcher, like, I don't know what the example would be, like Kyle MacLachlan hosts the show or John Hamm hosts the show right when the you know, Twin Peaks is on or Mad Men is Ascendant and you're like, oh, we're going to get the parody. They're going to do the parody. Yeah. Like, I mean, Nick Nicholas Braun was just on with Robbie, well, but he was, I think, right? But that was Lindsay Buckingham dressed as, as Nicholas right. Braun. Uh, I would I would count on seeing some succession heads on. on do you the show do you want week. that? Are you does this make you interested in what? Like, is your level of fandom at this point would it lead you to checking out some SNL because Kieran is on it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I watch clips of SNL like when I can. Yeah. I, I guess as I bring this up, I realize the buy-in is so much lower now than it used to be. Yeah, it's not before, like I yeah. before clips. <laughs> Like, not only do we like live on the West Coast out where Saturday night early, yeah. but it's like, that used to be a thing. Yeah, because you and I spend thing. a lot of time out of the house after 1130 on Saturdays. I don't spend a lot of time out of my bed, so that would that would require a lot. Um, Andy, thank you so much for talking to me about this wonderful television show. Thank you so much to Kaya McMullen for producing us. We'll be back on Thursday to discuss more pop culture, probably Eternals. Greenwald, have a great week. The best thing of knowing this is coming on Sunday night is that all of you listening, I am having something ice cold right now. <laughs> right now, in the future, and I'm looking forward to it. Have a, have a great rest of your Sunday night, Brantheys. Later. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.